Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right-brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. So I am no stranger to the music world. While I have absolutely zero musical talent, I grew up with a father who tried desperately to force the guitar, the violin, piano, and a slew of other instruments onto me and my five siblings. Much to his dismay, none of the six of us had any musical inclination whatsoever. However, I was exposed to the world of music, recording, and pursuing your passion at a very young age. Music was something that my dad really tried to make a career. He pursued it and pursued it and pursued it until he couldn't anymore. So I am really excited to introduce all of you to Katie, who is a very dear friend, wonderful human being. And she is an international performer, teacher, and coach. She is a flutist, which I just learned the proper pronouncing of this word. It is flutist, not flautist. And Katie, (laughs) what drives Katie is her love to empower people with a passion for music and discover and pursue like their individual paths. Katie, I'm so excited we're doing this. Yay! (laughs) I'm so glad to be here. It's amazing. It's so good to see you and hear you. And yeah. You know what's wild? We've known each other for 12 years now. That is absolutely insane. Isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So much, so much has happened in 12 years. Because when we met, I was still in my undergrad, I think, at DU, which is You were. I still remember your apartment at D, like by DU. Katie was one of the, I moved out to Colorado. My best friend was living in Vail, I think. And I knew one other person. And Katie was one of the first people that I met when I moved to Colorado and very quickly became a friend. We were you were friends. You were you're just <laughs> yeah. like a light. You're a, you're a ray of sunshine. And I'm so excited because that comes through just in conversation. So I'm so excited that people get to see you and meet you and hear you. And even though we're not recording video, they can probably see you. And just, you know, hear your voice. I'll be smiling the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Smiling and burping from the sparkling water. And yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited. Katie, I don't even really, I don't know if I even know your story of how you got into being a a flutist. And I do have to let you know, I did play the flute for three or four years in middle school. I was, I was in the middle school band. Yeah, girl. I, I killed it. I was always like the furthest chair from the good people, but I did it. And that's what matters. You know what? We have that connection then. I didn't even know that. So that makes me love you even more if it was possible. We have, we have that connection. Uh, Yeah. Well, yay. Tell me more. Yeah. So if we want to go all the way back there, I think, you know, it's (laughs) significant. It's amazing to hear you talk about how your dad really wanted you to play music. And I think as kids, a lot of times, you know, music can be forced on you. Uh, whether yeah, it's absolutely. Or, you know, or whatever it is that your parents are like, you have to do this. And so many kids are just like, No, thank you. I do. I have no interest in that. 
but I do think it's so good and important for brain development, which is a whole nother thing. But like my siblings, my, my grandpa was a musician. So we really got, I'm on my mom's side, got a lot of music stuff from him. He used to play Phantom of the Opera CDs for us in the car when we were kids and Rhapsody in Blue and orchestral things and have us try to recognize which instruments were what. And it was such a beautiful relationship. He was a pianist. So he kind of taught me a little bit of piano when I was really little. And then in fifth grade, we all get to choose an instrument. And I just happened to get a flute. Like my aunt had an old flute from who knows when. It was a piece of crap, but she gave it to me for like my 10th or 11th birthday. And my sister was learning violin or viola and trombone and drums and something. And she was just like, no, I do not want to do this. <laughs> um, but I stuck with it because I started playing flute and started teaching myself. And I was kind of just naturally good at it. You know, I could get a sound when nobody else could. And it was made me feel really good about myself. So I, um, I never had a teacher for the longest time. But no I just kind way. of, I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't until high school, like late high school, before I decided I wanted to go to college for music, that I got an actual real flute teacher. But long story longer, I when I was in high school, you know, they have like the chairs, you get first chair, second chair, third chair, whatever. Yeah, I was like 15 out of 16. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was second chair and I was so proud of it. But there was this one girl, her name was Melissa, who was first chair. And I was always so jealous of Melissa because I was like, I want to be first. Ah!" And, uh, but there was one day, this was in like 2004, I think. So I would have been a sophomore in high school. And she was like, oh, this guy, James Galway is in town. And if you don't know who James Galway is, he's the most famous flute player of all flute players. Like, ask your parents. They probably have James Galway CDs. <laughs> Our generation is That's amazing. So Lord <laughs> of the Rings. And yeah, he was like knighted by the queen. Like he's this, you know, he's super, super famous flutist. And he was playing a concert. I'd never heard of him. But my mom was always the mom who was like, of course, I'll bring you to that thing. I love your mom so much. <laughs> Kelly is one of my favorite people ever. She's so good. She's so good. So when I told mom about this concert, she was like, oh, yeah, of course, we'll go. So she got us tickets and we went to this concert and I heard James Galway play. And it was like I was struck by lightning. Like I knew in that moment I wanted to play flute forever. He played and I was, and it was a sold out concert with the orchestra. And he just, it was unbelievable like I don't think I'd ever really heard what the flute sounded like until then so I was like okay (laughs) that's it this is what I'm gonna do and then after the concert he was signing autographs and he and his wife were there and they asked me you know why do you want to play the flute and I was like well someone's gotta take your place someday so oh my (laughs) you would (laughs) (laughs) what happens when you're gone (laughs) Galway? yeah And so he loved that and gave me his email address and I stayed in touch with him. And then he invited me to go to his, he has a flute festival in Switzerland every year. Um, Not anymore since COVID, but before that he um, had a flute festival there and it's like the best flutists from all around the world go and study with him. He teaches classes and his wife teaches classes for kids and for more adult amateur people. He sent me an email saying, Hey, we'd love for you to come to this. This is seriously before I still hadn't had a flute teacher. Like I was, you know, I could barely play a scale on the flute. I didn't know what I was doing. But 
I showed my mom that email. And at the time, my dad's a golf pro. So he was trying to get back on the golf tour. Money was really rough. We lived in a two bedroom apartment with the five of us. And, you know, so I assumed like, I know this isn't going to happen. It's so expensive, but check it out. I got invited to golf racing. Isn't that cool? And my mom was just like, yeah, there's no way you're not going to this. We'll make it happen. So we raised money and figure and yeah we like went around to local businesses and told them the story and people donated stuff and we raised like six grand for me to go and uh then I got a scholarship to go again that was in like 2004 I think I got a scholarship to go back in 2008 and then a grant to go back in 2013 and in 2013 he found out that I'd been working for the Apple store for like five years (laughs) and he was like why didn't you tell me you were good at technology and then Galway would just start randomly calling me like, how do you send a picture in a text? And we <laughs> talk about flute for an hour. Like it was just this really sweet relationship. And then they asked me to start working for them. So then I actually managed and traveled around the world with the Galways for about four or five years and got to play. I, I had had a teacher at this point. So like, right after I was invited to go to Galway's class, I was like, I need a real teacher. So I found a teacher that was teaching at a local college here, worked really, really, really hard, and then auditioned to go get into DU, which is how I met you. (laughs) Katie, that's incredible. Like, talk (laughs) about being like, not just being at the right place at the right time, but having the right support team, because your family is super close. And I I adore that about your family. But to have parents that are like, (laughs) come hell or high water, this is happening. Like, that's incredible. Yeah, totally. It's amazing. Like really just such a, I'm so, so beyond grateful for that. And then it created a relationship that was so beautiful. And it was amazing because a part of the thing that I love the most about music, I think the flute was kind of an accident. Like it could have been any instrument. An accident that you happen to be really good at. (laughs) A happy accident. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something so beautiful about the connection between people when you play music together. I think it's the same with any kind of art form. I think it's probably really similar with acting or any sort of art form where you have to interact with other people in a way that's really vulnerable. And I think the connections that I've made with people starting at the Galway Festival with people from all over the world now are some of my lifelong friends. And so... Yeah, I mean, that, that community is irreplaceable. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's helped me so much with... First of all, starting the Etude of the Week community, which we'll talk about because Etude of the Week led to then For the Love of Flute, which is the business I'm starting. But all of these connections and understanding how important relationships are with other people is really the whole point. Like flute happens to be the thing, the, you know, the tool. It really is an instrument, but the point of it is connecting with people, I think. I think that's amazing. And I think that the community that you've been building for a long time is really powerful. And we'll get more into that here shortly. Um, but I, it's, it's fascinating to me, Katie, that you didn't have a teacher and like my jaw dropped. But then when I tell people I went to college for like, freaking, I changed my major like seven times. And so when I tell people that yeah. I've never studied, <laughs> like, I've never studied photography, I never had a photography mentor. Um, I, I am all self-taught. They're like, what? And I'm like, I don't know. It just, it was something I was passionate enough about to figure out and learn. And then the business came easy for me because I loved business and marketing and didn't know that that was a passion. But I, I just love that you are self-taught. There's something so, so so profound. 
Yeah. Well, and it's it's it it shows how passionate you are about something when you are when you teach yourself and figure it out. Like yeah. we're we have two two boys. Um, they're five and three, and our five year old is playing piano right now. You'll be happy to know he has a wonderful ah, piano teacher. Yay. His his first recitals this weekend, and he's a he's a really um. He's a more reserved kid. So we've been trying to prepare him about what a recital is and that there's going to be people in the room other than us. And um, he's like, I know it's going to be great. So TBD, I'll I'll let you know how it goes. I'm sure it'll last 18 seconds about is the length of his song, (laughs) but, but already seeing the the confidence in him and that, that was all him. He said that he wanted to learn how to play the piano and me and Mike were like, what? Because neither one of us can carry a tune. Like we don't play, and he, but he, he really yeah. wanted to play piano. So oh, it was really cool that. So yeah, he yeah. The, he that's initially so wanted. Well, he initially wanted to learn how to play because he he heard "Can't Help Falling in Love with You" by Elvis, and he was like, "I want to play this song." And I was like, "All right." So we found, of course, something on YouTube to teach us to teach him how to play "Can't Help yeah. Falling in Love." And he just geeked out. Like we we would just hear the piano going oh like my God. random hours of the night and during the day. And <laughs> it was so cool. Ah, but just, yeah, so I was like, I got to tell so Katie cool. this. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for him. And it's been really cool to like foster that. And we're, we're homeschooling them. And so yeah. part of our homeschool approach yeah. is they've already got the passion there. Like they're, they, they are the fire. We just have to pour gasoline on that. And I love that you had that with your family. Yeah. With your family, with, with, with with your mentors. I love that you had that gasoline, like the fire was there. You were going to learn it no matter what. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So Katie, where was, where's the most memorable place that you've got to play then or perform? Oh man, that's a great question. I, Got to play with James Galway at the Kennedy Center. <gasps> coolest. coolest. Well, I was I was gonna say coolest, but like that's subjective. So like, what's the most memorable for yeah. you? Like something that you know on your deathbed you will be like, and I got to do this. I did that. So actually, the Galway thing at the Kennedy Center was amazing because that's one of those places like Carnegie Hall, Kennedy Center. That's like, this is a career goal for so many people. And for me to be able to play on that stage with my hero was like, okay, this is incredible. A not so normal thing, though, I got to play in Boston with LeVar Burton, for those of you who are of a millennial. Stop it. <laughs> Reading Rainbow, LeVar Burton? <gasps> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we did a, um, he read a story and I played improvised flute with him while he read a story. And it was put on his podcast. So like that was wild. Like how? Like, how does this stuff how does how? this stuff yeah. fall into your lap? <laughs> like how the hell do you meet LeVar Burton and in yeah. play with him? <laughs> like what? You know, I think this is something that's so important because you just have to kind of be ready to go when random things just fall into your lap. Like I it was wild. So I was working in Boston at the time for a flute sales company. I worked there called Flutistry Boston from, I think, like 2018 to 2019 or 20, uh, 2017 to 2019, 2016, 2019. I don't know. Something like that. 
two or three years. I was in Boston. Um, whatever. <laughs> years are weird. We've lost a few years in this. So totally fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, they so the shop is called Flutistry, and they got a random call one day from LeVar Burton's manager saying, hey, you guys are a flute company in Boston. Do you know anybody who might be able to play improvised esoteric bass flute while LeVar Burton reads a story? And you know my little brother, Jake. So he yes. is a synthesizer guy. And we do open improvisational stuff together all the time. Like we would do silent film scoring or do a concert where we're just like making stuff up. So I did have experience with that particular kind of music making. It's totally different than like playing in an orchestra, you know? So, so when they called and my coworker, Carolyn answered the phone and it was my day off and she kept trying to call me and I was like, I'm not answering the phone. It's my day off. Leave me alone. Hashtag boundaries. Back off, Carolyn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She was like, uh, actually, please answer the phone. Like, this is really cool. It's not a, it's not a work thing. (laughs) So that happened. And um, I actually flew Jake out from Denver to Boston to play with me. So he did synthesizers and I played flute. And it was amazing. Like just such a magical, <laughs> unforgettable experience. Katie, to do that. <laughs> where, where were you at at that point in your life? Because I feel like opportunities like that, I'm learning, only show up when we like release our palms, like when we stop trying to control everything. Yeah. And I know moving to Boston for you was a big deal. And that was the first, yeah, was, was that the first was. time that you lived outside of Colorado? Yes. Yep. Totally. So where, yeah, where were you at in your life when yeah. this opportunity showed up? So I had, I think it was November of 2018 that this happened. I'd been in Boston for a while and I was starting to get a little bit discouraged and feeling um, not great about my playing opportunities because taking this job in Boston, I, in my mind, I was like, oh, I have a full-time position with a salary at a place that is, I'll be doing flute stuff all day, every day, without realizing that it had nothing to do with me doing flute stuff for myself. Like I wasn't playing. And in Colorado, before that, I was playing all the time. I was starting to play with orchestra. I was doing chamber music with my brother. I was starting to play jazz gigs with people. I was playing in a steel drum band. I was like doing all this stuff. And then moving to Boston, it was like, oh, now I have to start all over in creating connections and trying to get opportunities to play. So it was a really interesting moment because I think for me, it was such a validating moment where it came back around when I was just like, man, I don't even know why I'm here or what I'm doing because I just felt kind of lost. And then that happened. And it was just like, a, oh, okay, I hear you. I see you, universe. Thank you for the reminder. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I am on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next year I broke my arm really badly in Boston after that, that December, actually, I think it was like the next month. And that was also a huge wake up call for me because I was almost, uh, when I went to the hospital after I broke my arm and I told them what I did, they made a face like, uh Oh <gasps> no. Like that, I, so it was a moment where I was like, maybe I won't ever be able to play the flute again. And that's when I quit my job, moved back to Colorado and started over. Like I Good had to for completely you. let go of that. 
Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to circle back to something that you said. I think that's a dilemma for creative, for creatives who turn their Mm -hmm. passion into a career, right? Like we stopped doing it for ourselves. I just went to Costa Rica. I just got back last week and I didn't bring my camera, which part of that was for my own mental health because I'm, I'm friends with the the guy that I went with. I I went for a yoga and meditation retreat. And I knew that if I brought my camera, I was going to turn it into like a marketing thing. Like, Oh my gosh, I could get this shot for her and this shot and this shot. And I could make a little gif and video. And Mike was like, honey, just leave (laughs) the camera at home. And then I was like, well, what about for me? And he was like, sorry, nobody wants to see pictures of of flowers in Costa Rica. And I was like, that's true. I guess there's like nothing that I really need my camera for. (laughs) But but it is is hard because we do. I mean, I used to get up in the middle of the night to go get galaxy shots, like night shots. And now like Mm. (laughs) I'd rather sleep. So it, it is interesting yeah. whenever, whenever <laughs> yeah. you turn your passion in, like when it starts profiting for you, like how, how do you yeah. personally keep, keep that enthusiasm and momentum up to keep doing it for yourself? Mm, it's really, it's really challenging sometimes. Honestly, like I, you know, people see me play or hear me play and are like, oh, wow, you must love this so much. Like you never stop. That's not true at all. Like I take extended periods of time away from the flute. You know, and I even very recently coming out of COVID, it's been so hard because my reasons behind playing and what I like to play have changed a lot. So it's been really hard for me to feel as motivated. I get a lot of inspiration externally. I'm very extroverted. No. (laughs) (laughs) Hearing other people play, seeing other people perform playing with music with other people, those are the things that really light my fire and make me excited to get better and to practice and to, you know, explore opportunities. And having been isolated for this amount of time has made me feel, first of all, you have to stay in shape as a musician, right? It's just like an athlete. So if you don't keep things up and consistently practice and work with your instrument, you backtrack, you know, <laughs> and coming back. That's to fascinating. It. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think there is this diluted idea when it comes to art as a career. I mean, like, as if like, I'm literally right now training for wedding season, I'm doing squats. Mike got me a home gym for my birthday and a Peloton. And I'm yeah. like, literally like, totally I, I see, I see pictures of myself at weddings and I'm like in mid squat in this awful position. And my, my massage therapist is like, yeah. this is why you're, this is why you're in pain. <laughs> but like, like I'm, I'm so glad you brought that uh, up because yeah. it, it takes so much to like, yeah, be an artist and be good at your, right. at your outlet, you know? Yeah, especially because there's so much, it's it's a personal thing. There's so mm-hmm. much vulnerability involved. So when you come back to something that maybe, you know, I was at my most in shape when I played this recital at the Gali Festival in 2000 and 2018, um, I played a recital there. And then since then, it's like, uh, and you come back to it and expect to be like, oh, yeah, I know. I know what I'm doing. And then I notice, oh, my breathing is terrible. I can't play these things that I used to be able to play. My hands are hurting. I, you know, yeah, like it's, it's real. And there's a, you have to have a patience with it, you know? And so, yeah, 
I am finally now this week after a long time of really having to kind of almost force myself to play. Uh, I just got back from a trip to Europe and heard some of my favorite, favorite flutists play and got to see them teach in person. And that makes, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I remember now. (laughs) I like this. This is why I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So. That's amazing. It's hard. Even as, you know, a part of, a big part of my life now is helping to coach people into showing up for themselves. And even when I'm coaching others to do it, it's really hard for me to do it for myself. It's hard to follow your own damn advice. Yes, it is very much so. Yeah. (laughs) So in a, in a previous conversation, Katie, you had made a comment about, and I think this kind of goes in line with what you were just saying about like having to stay in shape and like really take your work seriously. You mentioned having to put up boundaries around your time and Mm -hmm. around your like pricing, like charging, especially I was just having a conversation (laughs) before this podcast with one of my photographer girlfriends. And when people are like, Hey, could you just bring your camera? Hey, do you mind just like, just bringing it? I'm like, no, like, so, so for you specifically, what did, what did that journey look like? Because boundaries are are this new, like trending Mm -hmm. thing, but for people who actually implement them, (laughs) there is nothing trendy or cool about it. It is painful. It's hard. What did that look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. Like as a musician, putting up those boundaries. It's definitely still a work in progress. Always. I think I bound the word boundaries wasn't even in my vocabulary three or four years ago, you know, it's a very new thing. And I, I've always, I'd always prided myself on being the one that can solve everyone else's problems for them. And there was a little bit of my, I had value in myself based on being able to fix everybody else's problems. And I'd be like, Oh, don't worry about paying me. I'm doing it for my own satisfaction. But then it spirals into being taken for granted so quickly. And then people expect this thing. I also think it's important to say that in the music world, we are all undervalued here. Like, no question. I mean, it's this idea that, oh, you're so lucky you get to do what you love. And there's the whole, oh, I can't pay you anything, but you're going to get a lot of exposure. I'm sure you've heard oh, that. the E word. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a 17-year-old trying to gain a social media following. Right. Like, this is, you're really good at what you do. I hate the exposure word. (laughs) I know. God, so many others that are also good at what they do say yes to those opportunities, right? Like so many people, I got offered a gig to play in this musical recently and they were like, okay, we pay $50 a service. A service ends up being like between three, four, five hours long. It ends up being so far below minimum wage It's a joke. And by responding and saying, hey, it's actually unacceptable that you pay this much. It's like, now I'll never get called for that gig again. Like there's this thing in the in our world too, where the jobs are few, especially, you know, playing in orchestras or for musicals or for getting a, a stable job, especially as a flutist, because there's only two or three flutists in every orchestra. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It's very hard to get a... and. <laughs> yeah, to get a stable job, right? Whatever that means. I have air quotes going on for those who can see me. So there's this fear. We live with this fear that if you put a boundary down and you say, this is what I'm worth, I won't do this unless you can meet these requirements, then 
you will be out of the circle and no, and no one will ever call you again because it, ha- it does actually happen. Well, and and then you're you're left making fear based decisions, right? I mean, everything comes from exactly. a, a space of fear. Yeah. 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 So how did you like what what did you do to over overcome that? Well, it helped that I've started to well creating my own community that was mine that I built. That's that was huge because it made me it was it made me realize that I didn't need those jobs actually. So when I went to school, I was my my undergrad degree at DU. I was going to school to be an orchestral flutist. Like that was my goal. I wanted to audition for an orchestra, get an orchestra job, because that's the that's the path that you take, right? Like that's the clear path as a classical musician. This is what you do. Then I heard all of these horror stories from people talking about how many auditions they had to actually take before they even were considered for a job, when there are thousands of flutists auditioning for one position in an orchestra, you have to be able to pick up and move immediately, depending on the job that you get. You have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for travel to pay for it's crazy. It's absurd. I was just like, okay, just kidding. I do not want to do that at all. You know, circle back around. Now I'm playing with the Colorado symphony consistently, which is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) The universe was like, just kidding. I don't. You got this, but I took a very roundabout path to to get there. And I think that it was, first of all, knowing I didn't need those jobs. And then it was starting to say no. And it sucked. It's like so hard and so painful to say, no, I can't do this. And especially saying no without giving a bunch of excuses. Like, no, I can't do this because I have these other things going on and da, 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 da. Like <laughs> the over explaining no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Try yeah. to justify it for yourself, but just straight up saying no. No is a full sentence. And then something oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> something magical happens then. I think you mentioned it a little earlier. When you trust trust is a huge, huge, huge word for me, but just realize that by leaving that space, no matter how com- uncomfortable it is. Trust that something that's supposed to fill that space is going to come. And it might take a long time for it to happen, but it does. But it does. If I didn't do that and if I didn't leave the space and if I didn't stop saying yes to every single underpaid opportunity that came my way, I would never have had the time to just sit with myself and come up with my now purpose and career. You know? Oh my god. So. We're on like we're on parallel paths right now, Katie, because I, I wish I had my journal with me from Costa Rica because everything that I learned that week, like my whole purpose to I, I said whenever I went, I said, I need a nudge. I need a nudge in some direction because yeah. I am trying so hard. Okay, I'm gonna share a story with you. And I haven't shared it with anyone except my Yay. husband yet. And he was like, Was there ayahuasca at this retreat? And I was like, No, I promise. I was like totally sober for this. So <laughs> so we were yeah. and this just like hits hits onto what you just said. And people are gonna be like, This girl is woo-woo as like she's a lunatic, but I don't care. <laughs> Jump off whenever it. Like, nobody's it. making <laughs> you here. Yeah. We're all about the woo-woo club here. So um, my teacher that I was with gave us an assignment. We had a whole day of silence, which I'm an extrovert too. So for me to be silent for a full Mm -hmm. 24 hours was intense. Actually, it was was longer than 24 hours. But anyway, (laughs) neither here nor there. It was a long time for me to be silent. um, And it was very eye-opening. But she said, while while we're in this day of silence, 
I want you to find a plant and just sit with it and see what the message is. And in Colorado, everything's dead. But in Costa Rica, there were like plants everywhere. <laughs> there was life everywhere. I was sharing yeah. a, a yurt with yeah. um, lizards. Like it was, there was so much life in abundance. I love it. And so in my yeah. true form, I was like, this is the plant. This is the plant. No, that's the plant. No, this. And so I was going from like very sporadically yeah. and haphazardly, like to plant to plant. Yeah. And finally, I found this one outside of my yurt, and I was like, "You're my damn plant. And you're gonna like it." And so I sat with it, and I came <laughs> up. I came up with some like BS story about how it was like my ancestors unfolding, and like I don't know. And then I was I like, "Okay, it. cool. That yeah. assignment's done." So I kid you not, Katie. After that, I was like, "I'm done with my assignment. I'm gonna go sit by the pool." So I walked my happy butt down to the pool and I just, I left my phone. I left my journal. I left my book. I left headphones. I left everything. I just took my chair and I turned it towards the jungle and I'm sitting there and it was a few minutes. I I was actually looking for monkeys or anything like fun. I was just kind of looking. um, We we ended up seeing a snake, but that's (laughs) neither here nor there. But while I was sitting there, I swear I swear, I started breathing with this tree. It was this huge tree. Oh my God. And I like- I have goosebumps already. I'm sorry. No, like, so I was looking at it like, no way. So whenever I would take a deep breath in, there was no breeze. Trust me. It was like 150% humidity and 90 something degrees. I wanted there to be a breeze. There was no breeze. So whenever I would take a deep breath in, the leaves would start to go up and expand and I would hold it for a second and then I let my breath out and I swear to God, the leaves just came down with me. And I was like, no. So it was like 20 minutes of me sitting there breathing with this tree. And I was like, of course you're my plan. The second I sit down, the second I relinquish control, the second I remove all distractions and stop chasing stuff. Yeah. This is the message that I get. And the message that my teacher shared on day one was slow down. You have nowhere to be. You have no one to answer to slow down. And I was like, of course, this tree and I are breathing together. And the tree's like, slow down. What are you doing? And so isn't that wild? Like, because I I said on- I know that I am a person. If I want it, I'm going to get it. I'm going to make it happen. If I want a business yeah. to happen, Same. come hell or high water, you know, yeah. illness, sickness, death, whatever, it's going to happen. And so yeah. this concept yeah. of just slowing down and relinquishing control is painful. It's so painful. Yeah. But you're absolutely yeah. right. Like it's yeah. not until you're in that stillness that things mm-hmm. That, that oh, things God. come to you and clarity shows up and inspiration yeah. comes. And um, what yeah. are you doing for your own mental health, Katie? Like, what are you doing to support yeah. yourself so that these ideas can manifest and come through? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. And also one that I've really struggled with and I've had to work through a lot. Um, the biggest one is rest. That's the biggest rest without guilt or shame right? Like intentional rest is huge. I think that in our culture, um, especially in a culture where we are doing what we love for a living, you have to, we have to work so hard all of the time. And it's glorified. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, people, people say like, oh, lucky you, you get to do what you love. And you're like, yeah, I do. But like, this is really hard when you love it and you're making it a livelihood. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that there's, something to be said about you can't pour from an empty cup 
you can't, you know, and really understanding that. And, and when I have a day that I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm empty, I can feel it. Listening to my body and knowing like, okay, today I'm, today I'm resting. I don't care. I will cancel my appointments. I will, you know, like I will reschedule things. I got it. It's just, it's so important and it's changed so much for me. Writing and journaling has been really helpful too. I've always had a really awful relationship with writing. Like (laughs) we used to have creative writing classes in middle school and high school. And I would like cry when I had to write things. Like I hated it. (laughs) Are you a perfectionist? Uh, Not, not really, but I just, I'm a little more like analytical than I am creative sometimes, which is actually kind of funny. I mean, there's creativity in everything, but well, Coulter, my, my five-year-old, he's very creative, but he has a he's very much left brain, which is why I think he loves the piano yeah. so much. It makes sense. Yeah. Which this, this note yep. comes out, you push that, that note comes like it it makes sense totally mind. Yep. So that's why I would I'd be comfortable like writing an essay about the history of the flute, fine. But like writing about what I'm thinking and feeling, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> why to do that with no judgment and just like whatever comes out, comes out has been really eye opening for me because it's helped me to trust my thoughts a lot more because I'll start writing something. I'll be like, Oh wow. That's actually very cool. <laughs> I'm really smart. I have good ideas. Look at that. Oh, I love it. Look at that. Look at this coming through. So what did, what advice would you give to somebody who's in that same boat, who is passionate about their craft, who wants to make a livelihood out of it, but like one, doesn't know where to start, or two, doesn't know how to do it without losing the passion and losing that um, that excitement for it? Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting because that's sort of the, that's the core of my For the Love of Flute program. Like that's exactly what it is and what it's for. Is for helping people who have something that they love in their life, but have a difficult relationship with it, have issues showing up for themselves. There's so much fear involved because of the way our society is, because of our culture, because of how our expectations that we put on ourselves and that others put on us to be perfect, you know, or I've just noticed so much in the flute world, especially, but this applies to all of the music world, I think that there's this idea that if you didn't get this degree or study with this teacher or practice for this many hours, or if you don't play this exact kind of music, then what you have to say, what you have to play is not valid and no one wants to hear it. And I think that that is an actual tragedy. And I, I believe with all of my being that the more people that can just show up and do what they love because they love it and actually maybe have fun, imagine that, that the world would be better. Like you are filling your cup and spreading joy. And, and even showing up, even if you're not at a level that you want to be, right? Like there's only one way to get there. And we all hold ourselves back because we're so afraid that we can't or that we might right. fail or that we might be judged. So it's really, I think my advice is, first of all, if you love something, show up with curiosity and with playfulness and make it, a, it's a discovery. It's not about proving yourself to anyone. So I think really having that at the core of why you do something is so important. (laughs) I love that you touched on this because in my coaching that I do with people, you know, it's as a photographer and I'm sure as a musician and, you know, like you naturally want to go to where the money is. And so 
I'll, I'll have yeah. students who are like, I hate weddings, but that seems to be where the money is. And I'm like, no, like my right. biggest piece of advice is find the passion and the money will follow. If you pursue your, like, I have a whole section in my course dedicated to passion, like follow the passion. Because if you don't, people sniff that out, like blood in the water. Like they will know that you don't like what you do. And. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Humans are energy readers. They are. Yeah, and they're totally. very good at it. So I, so this is the perfect segue. Yes. <laughs> so whenever we got together, I think it was last fall, last fall, I remember wearing a cute hat and we sat outside. So it was warm enough to wear, to sit outside, but like chilly enough to wear a yeah. hat. We, yeah. you had told me that you were thinking about mentoring, educating, and coaching flutists. So mm-hmm. start, let's back up a little bit. Tell me about the community and tell us about the community that you started building etude of the week. Like let's start there and what that has blossomed into. Cause I love that you took control over your future <laughs> over your income over like taking your gifts and how how much you like like you said you love seeing people play you love seeing people be passionate about what yeah. they do and you're turning that into a new venture for yourself so share a little bit about that yeah totally yeah so it's amazing cuz it all happened by accident which i think is speaks to the whole thing about being passionate about something really because that's how accidental things <laughs> kind of work out that way. But I started a group on Facebook in 2015 called Etude of the Week. For those not of you that are non-musicians that are listening to this, an etude is like a, we have scales that we practice, we have pieces that we play, and then in between are etudes. It actually means study in French. So they're like really short pieces of music. They're usually like are still very musical. It's not like you're just playing through a scale or whatever. And there are many etudes written for each instrument. So like the flute has a ton of books and they're usually books full. So they're like 12 etudes in a book or 24. And once I graduated with my master's degree in flute performance from CU Boulder, I immediately was so empty because in school, we're playing with an orchestra. I have lessons every week. I have chamber music to play. It's like you have all of these opportunities to be playing and performing and then all of a sudden it's all gone. Like And held accountable. Totally. So I had no one holding me accountable. I didn't want to lose momentum. I just got my master's degree, but I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't know <laughs> what my life's going to look like. I don't have anywhere to perform right now. I don't know what to do. So I started this group on Facebook that's called Etude of the Week, where we basically choose a book of etudes and play through the entire book, do one a week. Everybody works on them together with no judgment, like we're just going to play it how we play it and practice through them together and learn from each other. It started off with some of my friends from the Galway class in Switzerland, and some of my colleagues from school. There were like maybe five or six of us. Then after a year or two, a few more people started to join. Then they started to get some more non-professionals joining because at first it was mostly professional, you know, graduate students, like high level flutists. Then it kind of went to some adult amateurs were joining and they started to be like, oh, I'm not as good as you. So I really shouldn't post. And that triggered something in my gut that was like, no, 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 that you absolutely should. So then it turned into something where I wanted it to be a space where people, no matter where they're from, no matter what their level is, felt like they had a safe space where they would not be judged and they were able to just show up as themselves. That's what it turned into. Now, it has 
over 8,000 people from 180 countries in it. Stop it, nuts. Katie. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. And people are posting from all over the world. I've been hosting live events where people come and we get to meet each other. Yeah, heck yeah, girl. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> there have been little spinoffs, like other instruments have stolen it from me, which I love because I think it's just so, it's so important and it's so good to have this space. But from that, I've learned so much because I got messages, especially during COVID, but also before and after from people who said, I've never felt like I belonged anywhere. I've always loved the flute, but I always felt so alone. I, I always loved playing, but I felt like I was never good enough to actually show up. And it was like, oh my God, like this is crazy. <laughs> and it just, there's such a sense of purpose because people were already thanking me, like what you have done has changed my life. All I did was start a group on Facebook. Like I did not feel like it was <laughs> a life-changing thing. But realizing that it's because of who I am and what I stand for that that group exists the way that it does. Oh my if gosh, will you say that again? It, it wouldn't exist that way. <laughs> yeah. Will you say that again? <laughs> it's it's, yeah, it's true. It's because of me and who I am and what I stand for that the group exists that way. It's my energy and because I am a non-judgmental, safe person to be around, right? If anyone else were to have started that group, it wouldn't exist the way that it does. I believe that. So from that, and so many people for so long have said, I think you too have actually talked to me about this. Like, how can you monetize this? How can you make this something? Because in the meantime, I've been like waitressing and I don't know, like just doing whatever jobs I can get to potentially pay rent, right? I lived with my parents at the time because there was no way I was, I wasn't making any money. Right. So I, there was like, I had no way of even fathoming paying rent. <laughs> like, there's no way. And so thinking about monetizing that group, but it didn't feel right to charge people for the way that the group was at the time because it existed the way that it existed. So I then had the idea to start my program called For the Love of Flute, which is basically, it is, it's not basically, it is a four month program where up to right now I'm maxing it out at 10 people because it's important for me to have a safe space where people can really open up and connect right keeping it intimate exactly where we all speak to those things that are really hard we talk about setting boundaries we talk about how do you show up for yourself why don't you show up for yourself we start the whole thing with how do you set a goal and actually follow through how do you set intentions and then follow through with actions? And why don't we a lot of the time? So actually, a lot of it has very little to do with the flute. <laughs> we'll still talk about sometimes, but I love that you brought this up because um, a photographer friend of mine and I are in the process of trying to create a community like this for photographers because Whoa. it's, I mean, it's yeah. a lot of it yeah. revolves around mental health. There was a lot of stuff that he and I talked about yes. on, on his podcast and also in conversations we've been having to try to build this group of mm -hmm. mental health around photography and yeah. running a business and trying to make a livelihood. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that go into it with photography that I'm not mm -hmm. sure if, if flutists have to have to handle. I'm sure they're similar. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, we even talked about like women who get sexually assaulted, like female photographers and males yeah. too, for that matter, who yeah. get assaulted because you're, you're in a group 
so you know at, at a wedding with a whole bunch yeah. of really drunk people and yeah. you know there's no one to go to you are the hr department yeah. you are the you, you know like yeah. what do you do where do you go and so yeah. that was just one of many things yeah. of but but yeah turning your passion into a lot of risks yeah. There's there's a lot of risk. And whenever, you know, your name mm-hmm. is behind your brand and your business and your passion, yep. you know, what do you Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's 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 a really interesting dynamic to take something creative that you love, mm-hmm. make money from it, and also it can yep. be gone in the drop of a hat. Absolutely. So I love that you're doing that. And I love I love that you said that very little of it has to do with flute because for this group that we're trying to create very little. I mean, none of it's going to be about taking photos and running a business. It's going to be like, right. Where are you at? And how can we lift each other yeah. up? Because there's no other, there's no yep. other options right now. Our culture has got a really cool shift right now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Same here. Absolutely. And I think ultimately you can't take photos or play the flute or be creative and be yourself without addressing those things. Like, it's absurd to me that all these people, we have degrees and you go and try to get these jobs and we don't address them. In fact, it's the opposite. If you do address them, it's seen as a weakness. And it's just like, okay, no, no, no. (laughs) This has to be different. We have to do something different. I've had a couple of my former students reach out and say, hey, is there any information on mental health and running a business? <laughs> and like, you know, and I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Not yet, but I I have no doubt that there oh, will let's be. Make it happen. Like, right? I know. I'm like, <laughs> I can't write to save my life, but maybe I'll I'll write a book. But yeah, it's been yeah, in in and like <laughs> like yeah, like like you mentioned about boundaries. I mean, that's something that I think a lot of creative entrepreneurs feel like they have to throw by the wayside. You're not allowed to have boundaries. You're not allowed to price yourself. Oh my gosh, Katie, I wanted to like I I had a mini meltdown last night. Mike joined the search and rescue team here in Chafee County and we were at wow. a banquet last night and one yeah, one of my best friends was there and we were at a wedding venue that I shoot at a lot here in the here in the valley and we were, we were talking and she said, Oh, I, I referred you to one of my friends who's getting married here. And I was like, Oh, thanks, dude. And she said, Well, she's probably not going to call because she messaged me and said, Did you look at their prices? And I and she said, Yeah, I hope they're charging like a million dollars for what they do, because it's amazing. And her friend was like, Okay, well, they're more than we can pay. And which I totally get. And I understand. Yeah. But pricing is yeah. one way to put up yeah. a boundary for yourself. Like, I have friends who are still shooting 30 weddings this year. And I'm like, I don't want, like, that was not good for my mental health. Working eight nights a week was not good for my mental health or my family. And so pricing is one way you put up boundaries, but man, it's hard. Like all last night I was like, what should I do? Yeah, it's still hard. And I, you know, putting out, so my program costs $4,000 a person Mm -hmm. for the four As it should. I'm sure that it's, and, yeah, I have no doubt that you should. show up for those, yep. for those people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I still struggle with actually making people pay that much. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, I, I totally understand. And I, yeah, but it's putting that value out there and standing by it and saying, Hey, mm-hmm. this is what this is worth. Same with, I raise the prices of my flute of my private flute lessons. And there are some people that are like, are you serious? Like, who do you think you are? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm Katie, so I'm really awesome at this. I will change this will change your life if we work together and I believe it. So it's taken me 
I think when we met last, I was really struggling with that, with yeah. like having that belief in myself. And it's really come so far, especially, and the, the, play, the thing that's important to me that I've, that's really helped me stand by this is that it gives other people permission to charge what they're worth as well. Yes. If I'm not charging what I'm worth, then everyone in my industry also isn't. All Absolutely. Of the people that are doing things for little to nothing are the, are causing the problems. Like we have we have to stop that. Which there is a market for that. There will always be somebody cheaper than you. There will always be somebody more expensive. Yep. You have to you have to put those yep. boundaries up where it feels authentically aligned with you and not, you yep. know, Jane Jane Doe next door. Exactly. Yeah. And it's great and then it works out that the people that invest in themselves the people that show up and do this, that's, there's a correlation between the money that you spend and the energy that you give to something. Yes, absolutely. If something is free, you're not going to show up. It's a lot easier to be like, ah, I don't need to show up this week. It didn't cost me anything anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, absolutely. Transformation to happen as a part of it. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's really, <laughs> it's really interesting being a coach and a mentor because this is not new work, right? Like, I know the word coach is right. like really trendy, um, which I call myself a coach because I've, I've coached soccer. I've coached lacrosse. Like I know what it's like to be a coach in the sports world. And I know what yeah. it's like to do it in the business world. But this isn't new. Like people used to cross the desert right. in search of like a mentor to teach them <laughs> alchemy. And like, you know, I mean, like people were people were desperate to find mentors to teach them their ways. And so I totally ag ag agree with you. When you show up, you're not just showing up on accountability of a, of, of a mentor. You're showing up for yourself, especially whenever you're investing financially. Yeah. I've had students yeah. who invest financially. They don't show up to half the calls. They don't do the work. They don't ask questions. And then at the end, they're like, yeah. wait a minute, I don't have a business. And I'm like, no, like, what did you think was going to happen? If you don't show up for yourself, why would anybody else? But my students who do yeah. show up, they do do the work. They do learn what boundaries look like. Oh my gosh. Like I've had so many students, not to toot my own horn, but I've had so many students say this changed my life. Like I didn't just learn about business and marketing. Like I know yeah. myself and I know what I'm passionate about. Yes. And I know that this is a sustainable a sustainable career because I'm doing it from a heart centered place. Yeah. Not and then they show up as themselves in the world. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. This is my second round. Second for the love of flu round just started. We had our first meeting on Saturday and the, the first round that we had, um, there were three people in it. So it was me plus three others. And this one, I have six, but just to see the transformation of these people mm -hmm. and the way that they show up in the world. It's like, I, it makes me cry every time. There's so much pride. Like, now I'm getting messages from these people like, oh, I, I repaired my relationship with my mom because now I was able to like, look at myself and see myself oh differently. My right. Like, I know. And it's like, again, we, it's all through this thing of the flute, but the beautiful, <laughs> the flute, the beautiful <laughs> thing about it is that to have something that is a, such a vulnerable thing right? To have an instrument, whether it's your camera or the flute or the piano or your voice, if you're an actor or a singer or whatever, right? Like it's just a tool for you to connect more deeply to yourself. And yeah. it, if you can do that, it like, it changes the way you show up in the world, especially as women, we've always been told not to take up space 
Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. <laughs> working on that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Girl. <laughs> Standing that solar plexus chakra. Let's get it. <laughs> Let's get it. Exactly. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I, I love that you're doing this, Katie. And I love that there's people out there like yourself, myself, who we're in it for the right reasons. Like Mike, Mike asked yeah. me at one point, he said, are you in this for like, promise me that you'll never do it for the money. And I was like, I won't because like, I, I want to do this to help people. And while that's very yeah. valiant, like there at a point you do want to make sure that you're getting compensated. But I was like, I would do this all day long. Like the, the, the messages that, that I get from former students of, yeah, I just booked my 12th wedding. I just booked, like I'm booking and people love me and look at this review I got. And, and I quit my job. Like whenever somebody tells me that they quit their corporate job, I'm just like, ah, like I just, I I want to like celebrate (laughs) and hug with them. Cause like for photographers, that's the goal, right? Like, and and I know for, for a lot of entrepreneurs to be able to do it full time. And so I love that you're, and you're beautiful, your energy, Katie, (laughs) just, I'm so glad that it's in the world. And I'm so glad that you're harnessing it to do good. Like you are taking your energy. I know big hearts. You're taking your energy (laughs) and doing so much good with it. And it's because of people like you who don't back down, who don't say, well, somebody else will do it. Somebody else can do it. Someone else can do it better. Like it's because of people like you, that there are better people in the world. And so I'm so grateful for you. Well, back at you for real. (laughs) We've been friends for 12 years. So that goes to show you. I can't believe that. (laughs) Um, So this is a very stark contrast, but I love ending our sessions with this question. Um, When was the last time you didn't feel like you were good enough? Mm Hmm. That's it. When you sent that question in the email, I was like, "Oh man, let me just uh, (laughs) we could take a nap for a second because (laughs) woo, yeah." I mean, it's it's interesting because I think that it happens consistently still you know like it's a thing where the minute that I kind of back down on my boundaries and say yes to something I know I shouldn't have said yes to or if I say this is how much I charge for something but you know don't worry about it (laughs) you don't have to you know or I you know gave a class in Europe this weekend and I found myself really kind of standing in the background at times you know, there's all of these moments where I think that being not enough comes up and it shows in the way that I show up. Yeah. But I think one of the beautiful parts about being a musician and about having something that you are constantly told about how you're not good enough constantly, like in all of our lessons, it's like you show up, the expectations is you show up, you play for somebody who's better than you. They tell you why you suck you have to go work on that thing. <laughs> that's our culture. That's what we do. I mean, that's what we do. Like, that's what going to school is. That's what having a, a teacher is. Like, it's it's how it's done. And so the beauty, the as, as terrible and tra- traumatizing as that is, there's a side of it that is, when I feel like I'm not enough, I'm able to kind of step outside of that and look at, well, why though? Like, where does that come from? And how can I practice being better? How can I practice being a little more aware? And usually it comes down to knowing 
oh yeah, I got this. Like I am, I am enough. I have it written like everywhere. It's all over my board and like, in my shower, you know, <laughs> because it, we all have to remind ourselves of it all so often, mm-hmm. you know? It's, so there's a lot of specific times where that happens. It usually comes down to though, when I, the, the awareness and the sort of trigger for me, I guess, is when I don't respect the boundaries that I set for myself. Mm. And I know that I don't. (laughs) And then I have to kind of look at that and be like, oh, why did I not feel comfortable standing by what I know is right? Right. I love how much self-awareness you you have. That's amazing. (laughs) It's a work in progress, girl. (laughs) Oh, of course. Of course. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. Katie. Well, yeah. I, I cannot thank you enough for your time. And we're going to share. So your program is for the love of If anyone's interested yep. and we're going to put all your social media yep. handles in the show notes. Thank you. Oh, I'm so grateful yep. for you. Thank oh, you so much, Katie. I got you, girl. Oh my gosh. I, well, I can't wait forever. to see you. Hopefully here in the next few weeks, we can <laughs> yeah. make it happen. Yay. All right. Well, Thank you so much for being here and we will see y'all next time on the Fearless Empire. Take care.